Oh, good morning. Aren't you glad that that's rain out there and not snow this morning? Could have made a little bit of difference driving in. Uh, Christmas season is often a time when new movies come out and movie attendance is about at the highest of any time in the year. This year, of course, the Star Wars coming out and Hallmark Channel obviously just keeps pumping out the movies. They actually have some ratings on favorite Christmas movies and one of the movies that makes it pretty high is Home Alone 1 and of course the sequels. There's four different sequels to that. And in the story of of Home Alone, obviously an eight-year-old little boy who had gotten in trouble because of his bully brother and the extended family's all there and they're, they're heading out in the morning to go to France on a vacation that they've been planning. They oversleep and in the craziness of getting up and going, he sleeps in and they leave without him. And so he wakes up in the morning, and, and there's nobody there but him. And at first, it seems like a really good thing. He can eat anything he wants or do anything that he wants until there's a couple of criminal types that start making life a little miserable for him. And obviously, the mother and the father, when they are aware of what they've done, feel absolutely horrible. Can you imagine that? Any of you ever leave a child behind someplace? Uh, I'm going to raise my hand because that actually happened to us. Uh, my wife, Bert, and I um, usually drive two cars to church, um, mostly because uh, if we have two services, I'm there for both of them, and um, usually I'm there a little bit longer. And so uh, this particular Sunday, we were at a church near Fort Wayne, Indiana, where we were serving, and uh, uh, I, I came home three miles uh, to, from our home to the church, and I get there and realize that uh, Dan, our oldest, is there, Amy, our middle daughter, is there. But Rachel, our youngest daughter, isn't there. And Bert and I look at each other and say, I thought you were bringing her. No, I thought you were bringing her. And I make a beeline back out to the church and find her fast asleep on a a pew. Otherwise, you'd probably need counseling today for her mom and dad having left her behind. You know, when I think about that story, I think about the story that we find in Luke chapter 2. And um, coming out of the, the Christmas story, the narrative that we've been studying and uh, after the story of Simeon and Anna, uh, when Jesus was, was dedicated in the temple, we read these, these words, uh, Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, that's Mary and Joseph, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor, the grace of God, was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey But then they began to search for him among their relatives and their acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? 
Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Father, as we um, open your word together as this church body on the last Sunday of this year, God, we're thankful for the hope that we do have because Christ was born and that he is Emmanuel, that he is the Prince of Peace, that he is the Son of God and the Son of Man. And thank you for this portion of your word, Lord. May it prepare our hearts and our lives for the year to come. Speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Only Luke's gospel records anything happening in the life of Christ from the narrative of his birth until the time of his baptism by John the Baptist. There are traditions that are, have no biblical basis, but this, this story stands alone. Only Luke gives it to us. After the story of the shepherds and after the birth of Christ, the announcement by the angels, the story of Simeon and Anna, and the, what later in Matthew's gospel, the story of the wise men coming, you basically have Nothing going on until you get to this, this portion. And this story of Jesus being lost, so to speak, in the temple is one that I think is very important for us to understand because it actually previews some things about Jesus' life and his ministry and even his sacrifice are actually woven into the fabric of the story intentionally. The Gospel of Luke is built on a, a travel narrative, as Luke also does in the second book he wrote, the book of Acts. And so this is a kind of a miniature travel narrative. The family is going up to Jerusalem for Passover, and they're coming back again. And, and this story is filled with meaning. But I want us to think about the story in a different way today. Rather than just looking at it as a story of a, of a 12-year-old boy getting lost and how badly and hopeless the parents would have felt, I want you to think about the insights we gain in this story for our lives heading into a new year. That's why I'm calling this message, Don't Lose Jesus in 2020. I want you to know there's no risk of losing Jesus in the ultimate sense. Jesus is God. He's everywhere present. But you know, things can happen in our lives that keep us from actually fellowshipping with him or living for him, and we can lose that fellowship, we can lose that relationship. John, the disciple that was the closest to Jesus, his closest friend, writes about those things in the book of 1 John, and he also records in the book of Revelation uh, seven letters to seven churches that talk about how we can lose fellowship with Jesus. I want to challenge you this morning with this. By the time we cross over to 2021, if the Lord tarries, will you be living closer in fellowship with Jesus than you are today? Will you be living a more faithful life? 
Will you be enjoying that, that intimacy with Jesus more than today? That needs to be a goal that we orient our lives around to say, this year, 2020, coming up, we're going to make sure we don't lose contact with Jesus during this year. So let's, let's unpack this passage and let it speak, okay? Here's the first thing I want you to, to be challenged by as you think about this new year and not losing Jesus in 2020. That is living a life of fellowship with him. Remember Christ's cross. Uh, today we partook of the Lord's table. And, and Jesus, when he actually instituted that, was, was having a Passover feast with his disciples. We read in this narrative that his parents went up to the Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And he was 12 years old, and he went up according to the custom. In the Old Testament, both in Exodus and Deuteronomy, the Jews were told that there were three feasts that they were to attend regularly, or the males were to go to these three feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and the Tabernacles. But as the dispersion happened, it became that Passover was the central one that people would, would come to. Jesus was 12 years old. When he turned 13, he was going to become a son of the commandment. Today, Jews call it the bar mitzvah. It was when he was considered an adult male. And so Jesus is going up to the temple. And this was a regular practice. They wouldn't travel alone. They would travel in a caravan. Uh, people from Nazareth would go together, and they would pick up other relatives and friends on the way. And there would be anywhere between 100,000 to 200,000 pilgrims that would come to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so this is a huge crowd of people, and they're traveling together, extended family, friends, neighbors, all coming together. Jesus is, is here at the Passover. Interesting to me that, that this story happens then. Because Jesus came to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Apostle Paul would later say, Christ, our Passover, is sacrifice for us. Jesus, being God, would have known all about that at 12 years old. And he goes up to the Passover and they, they partake of the, of the meal. They also slay a, a, a lamb. They take the blood and they apply it. And Jesus is sinking forward to his cross and what he would come to do. And so, friends, for us, for us, I want to encourage you to remember Christ's cross. Remember to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Remember that the gospel is the center of the Christian life. The good news that Jesus Christ, God's son, died for you, was buried and rose again. And that that is the power for Christian living, for forgiveness of sins, that you can live that kind of a life. That is the message that you have to share with people all around you this year. The message of Christ's cross. The message of the good news of his resurrection. And so we need to preach the gospel to ourselves and we need to live at the foot of the cross and the empty tomb. The longer I live the Christian life, the more I realize that the dynamic of the spiritual life is living out the gospel one day at a time. And the Passover reminds me that if I'm going to live closely with Jesus in this year, I want to live at the foot of the cross. I want to live through the empty tomb. I want to remember the price that was paid because that is the motivation for godly living, and that is the power to overcome sin. The second thing I want to, I want to do this year is I want to live in Christ's presence. You know, as they're searching for Jesus here, this is a kind of a fascinating story because um, 
the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his parents didn't know it. Now, how would they not have known it? Because people traveled in extended family. Usually the ladies and the small children were in the front of the caravan, and the, the, the men and the uh, older children were in the back. So they would have been separated out that way. And, and it would have been normal for a young boy of 12 years old to spend time with other friends and other relatives and other neighbors. So it was until they camped that night that they found out that Jesus wasn't there. And the Bible tells us they began to search for him among their, their relatives and acquaintances. You can imagine this huge crowd of people. They're, they're camped for the night, and they're going around saying, Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? And you can imagine what some of those parents were thinking. Imagine how hopeless it would have felt. But friends, we need to live in Christ's presence. Let me just clarify something. The Bible makes it very clear that God is everywhere present. Just read Psalm 139. There's no place you and I can ever be where God is not. And yet there is in the Bible a teaching about the manifest presence of God. In other words, experiencing that presence. The manifest presence of God in the tabernacle, well, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire was there. And in times of spiritual awakening, in times of spiritual renewal, in the life of an individual and in the life of a church, the people of God, there is a heightened awareness to the manifest presence of God. That we're living in his presence and we're practicing his presence. Now, Jesus promised his presence to us. He, we're told in John 14, I will not abandon you like an orphan. I will come to you. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, he said, I will no, never leave you. I will never forsake you in his omnipresence. But will you this year live in the presence of God, experience the presence of God in your life? Will you be intentional about that? They didn't know that Jesus wasn't there. You know, in the battle of Ai, the army of Israel goes up to fight a battle, and they had, they had sinned against God and hadn't addressed it, and they just assumed that God was with them, and God was not with them. They were defeated. And so sometimes that happens. Sometimes God's with us, and we don't know it. Jacob said that after that really strange night's sleep he had where he had a really weird dream and, and had a, a rock for a pillow. Think about what kind of sleep that would be. And he wakes up in the morning, and he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. So sometimes we presume upon the presence of God, and sometimes God is present and we're not aware of it. We don't want either one of those things to happen. We want to practice and live in the presence of God. You say, how do you do that? You do that through prayer. Why is it that prayer is so central to the life of our church? Because it is in prayer that we practice the presence of God. It is in prayer that we enter to worship and with thanksgiving and with confession and to make our needs known. It is in prayer that we do that. We also practice the presence of God in faith by understanding that as, as you believe in his presence and you practice that presence, you can actually enjoy the presence of God. One thing I found out in studying the Bible, do you know where joy comes from in the Christian life? Have you ever thought about that? Why can a person be joyful even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of grief? My friends, in the Bible, I've discovered this, this truth that joy depends on one thing and one thing only. And that is the level of fellowship with God I'm having in that moment. 
Joy does not come from my circumstances. Joy doesn't come from my bank account. Joy doesn't come from my health. Joy doesn't come from everybody getting along at home. Joy comes from living in the presence of God. That's what John said in 1 John. Fellowship is the source of joy. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 1611. In thy presence is fullness of joy. My friends, nobody can take your joy from you, but if you're living in the presence of God, living by faith, you are experiencing a deep and abiding joy. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is there so that you can experience the presence of God. The Holy Spirit indwells every Christian. And as we live responsive to the Holy Spirit's ministry in a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, you can live a life of practicing the presence of God. They didn't have the presence of Jesus with them. You can live practicing that presence today. By the way, one of the ways that we do that is together with other believers. It's why I love church, because Jesus said that he dwells among his people. In the book of Revelation, we see the glorified Christ in the midst of seven lampstands representing seven churches. The reason I want church to be a part of my life is because that's where Jesus is working, building his church. The reason I want to be in a small group is because Jesus said wherever two or three are gathered in the midst, there I am. So practicing the presence of Jesus in 2020, are you ready to do that? To cultivate an awareness, to cultivate joy, to cultivate that fellowship with God in that way. Also to learn from Jesus. When, when they come, it's three days. Can you imagine the panic? Imagine the emotion of this. Uh, some Bible scholars will say, well, it was a day that they traveled up and a day that they traveled back, so it was only one day looking. It doesn't seem that the text is saying that. It seems like what the text is saying, they traveled one day up, could have been anywhere from 8 to 20 miles, and then they traveled one day back, and then they spent two days looking for Jesus in Jerusalem, this huge city with all these people, and they're looking for Jesus. And finally, they go to the temple, and there in the temple courts, they find Jesus. Look what, look what happens. After three days, they found him in the temple. What's Jesus doing? He's sitting among the teachers. They're sitting, and Jesus is probably sitting on the ground, probably in one of the porticos of the temple, and, and he's there watching them. There's a picture here they're going to show you of what this may have looked like. It's not a photograph, okay? But probably what it may have looked like. And Jesus is there, and there's all the teachers, the rabbis, the scholars of the Bible that are there. And, and the way they would teach wouldn't be lecture. It would be they would ask questions that those that were present would respond to, and, and then they could ask questions. And as they listened to Jesus answer their questions... And as they perceive the questions he's asking, their response were told. All that heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. The word amazed literally means they were beside themselves. It actually can be used for being out of your mind because it's just so shocking. They were simply amazed. They'd never heard a young boy, 12 years old, with the spiritual perception and the discernment and the knowledge and the wisdom that Jesus had. And that's because he is the living word, the subject of every page of the Bible. It's all about him. And so Jesus is there, and they're amazed at him, at his teaching. I want to ask you, are you ready to learn from Jesus this year in 2020? Are you ready to sit at his feet and be teachable? My friends, you can't grow spiritually if you're not willing to change. And you can't change if you don't learn. 
And you don't learn if you're not humble. And when we come to Jesus and we open his word to read it, we need to come with a humility of heart and saying, Lord, just teach me. Teach me. I hope this year you have a plan already to read the Bible every day over this next year. Frankly, I don't care what your plan is, just have one. I've got some brothers in Christ that are going to join with me in a very challenging adventure this year where we're going to be reading through the Bible together. Four chapters a day from four different sections of the Bible. And I just think it's going to be such a cool year. I have a plan for reading my Bible. Do you? Some months ago, we talked about Bible reading, and we talked about the two questions you can ask. My friends, don't let 2020 go by without you sitting at Jesus' feet and learning from him. We've got some new learning experiences coming up, some great opportunities for you to be able to dive in with others and in community to learn together. Women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies. We've got precept Bible studies. We've got Wednesday night studies. We've got some new things happening on Sunday morning. This is a year, 2020, when you need to be ready to learn. To learn by sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from him. And by the way, that means when you come to church, you need to be ready to learn. Maybe you've never thought about this, but preaching is not a spectator sport. It's not like going to a basketball game or watching the Lions get beat by Green Bay today. Sorry about that. It's, it's not like that. It's not like that. It, it's not a spectator sport. Preaching means that you are engaged, that your heart has been prepared, and that you're digging in and thinking it through, and you're, 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 you're taking not only notes about information, but what God is saying to you through the Holy Spirit. Are you ready to learn from Jesus in 2020? Are you ready to do that? Let the Bible be your spiritual GPS this year. Let it guide you, and it'll be a great year. Friends, the truth, the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding you get from this book is like no other. I love books, and I love reading, but there is no book like this book. And the best thing you can do for your life is every day sit at the feet of Jesus and let him be your teacher because he is amazing and what he has to say to you, and what you can learn from him. Here's another one. So when his parents um, encounter him, after three days, you can imagine, 48, verse 48, when they saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Any parent that could experience this, where you were just scared about one of your kids, something that happened to them or could have happened to them, and all of a sudden you find them and you move from being afraid to being very angry, and, and you're going to give them that lecture, right? Any parent ever done that before? I know I have. That's kind of the attitude of Mary here. Son, how, how could you do this to us? Why did you treat us this way? Part, partial relief, partial frustration, and partially because it had been so different than anything Jesus had ever done. And Jesus said to them, why were you looking for me? Why were we looking for you? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? And they didn't understand what he had spoken to them. Uh, this, again, is a preview, just like the Passover and Jesus' teaching is a preview of his, of his life and ministry. This is a preview that Jesus had come to do the Father's will. That he was surrendered to doing the will of his heavenly Father. That at every turn, he would do that. And by the way, Jesus taught us to do the same thing. We were to pray, he taught us. Your will be done on earth as it's done in what? Done in heaven. 
Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane would kneel and, according to Luke's gospel, sweat great drops of blood as he said, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And at every point, he was surrendered to do the will of God, the will of the Father. And in his perfect obedience, he lived his life. In his perfect obedience, Jesus did the will of his Father. What about you? In 2020, are you going to actively seek for God's will in your life? Uh, Far too often, I think, in the Christian life, we just say, okay, God, this is my plan. Please rubber stamp it. God, this is what I want to do, so please bless it. I think sometimes God just says, when you get ready to let me show you my will and do my will, I'll show you. But God isn't interested in just rubber stamping, giving the good housekeeping seal of approval on your plans. God is interested in people who are totally surrendered to discovering and doing his will. Are you? Are you ready to take that step of obedience, whatever it is? You say, well, how do I, how do I know that? How do I do that? Well, one of those areas is in terms of the way that you serve God. You know, God has gifted every believer with spiritual gifts. God's given you knowledge and experience that has prepared you to do something for him. God, God has a unique calling on every one of our lives. I just met with some friends earlier to, today that are here in the service today, and I, I said to them, glad that they're new to our church, but I've known them for a long time, and I said, listen, I just want you to know, it, we can't let you just sit and not steward your gifts. We can't. Someone has said, it was Howard Hendricks, that the average church is like an NFL football game. You have 50,000 people in the stands in desperate need of exercise and 22 people on the field in desperate need of rest. (laughs) We don't want to be that church, friends. We don't play by the 80-20 rule where 80% of the ministry is done by 20% of the people. Some of you need to be saying, God, what's your will for my life in terms of service? What's your will for my life in terms of getting engaged? Getting engaged in kids' ministry, getting engaged in student ministry, getting engaged in small group ministry, getting engaged in upward, and and getting engaged in in outreach ministry, getting engaged in any way that you have gifts and abilities and a calling of God on your life. And you join a team and you get involved. Maybe for you, 2020 is going to be the year that you're going to get out of the stands and onto the field and make a difference. Don't waste your gifts. Don't waste your life. You are a steward of those. And there's no excuse for any believer in any local church not serving God. If you, if you think your excuse will hold, hold water, think about how you explain to Jesus the fact you did nothing for him in spite of all that he's done for you. So Jesus did the Father's will, and in 2020, you need to be about doing the Father's will. That's his calling in our life. There's one more. Look at how this uh, passage ends. Jesus went down with them because Jerusalem is on the top of a mountain, so every place you go is down, and came to Nazareth, which was actually north, and he was submissive to them. That means Jesus placed himself under their authority. So you shouldn't understand Jesus say, didn't you understand I had to be about my father's will to be a preteen simply saying in your face. It wasn't that at all. Jesus Christ was submissive to the authority and leadership of his parents. 
And that basically that's telling us from the time he was 12 to the time he was 30, that is his attitude, that is his perspective. Jesus obeyed God's commandment to honor his father, legal father, Joseph, though God was his father and his mother. He did that. He, he, in a perfect obedience to the word of God. And we're told that Mary, his mother, treasured all these things in her heart. I don't know how many of you ladies, if you have children, had a baby book. And now, now that's all done digitally. But back when our kids were growing up, we had a baby book for every one of them and pictures and dates and, you know, had the little handprints and the footprints and all this kind of stuff. And every birthday, you know, you take a one-year-old and you put a chocolate cake in front of them. What do you expect to happen? And so you get a picture of that and you put it in there, right? Mary's baby book was her heart. She treasured up everything that happened. Do you know that most of what's recorded from the first verse of Luke's gospel until here and a whole lot of other things aren't found in any other gospel? Where did Luke get his information? Luke was a companion of Paul in the book of Acts, and when Paul was under arrest and under trial both in Jerusalem and for two years in Caesarea, Luke had the opportunity to go and travel and to record an interview, and apparently he had the opportunity to interview Mary. Because the narrative of all that happened with Elizabeth and, and Zacharias and all that happened with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, only Luke records. And so she kept and treasured all those things. Look at verse 52. Jesus increased, or he grew, in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and man. By the way, look, look at how this passage is sort of bracketed with that. Verse 40. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was on him. Sort of a parenthesis around this whole passage. Jesus increased or he grew in four areas. Wisdom, that's the knowledge, understanding, and the application of it to life. Stature is the physical growth. Favor with God is spiritual growth, and favor with man is the relational growth. Jesus, Jesus' growth from the time he was 12 to the time he's 30 is summed up in this one text. He grew. He increased. Wisdom, physical, spiritual, and socially, he grew. I wonder for you, do you have a plan to grow in this next year, in a way that kind of covers all of your life? Do you realize God cares about your physical life? God cares about your growing mentally. God cares about you growing spiritually. God cares about you growing relationally. Are you ready to grow and be transformed in this next year? God's plan for you is not that you would be the same person two months from now than you are now. That's why I want to challenge you with this. Because what's happening here is we're seeing Jesus as the God-man growing and developing. I think it's a tragedy when we stop learning and we stop growing and we stop living a healthy life in all four areas, physically, mentally, spiritually, and socially. Do you have a plan for your life to grow in all four of those areas this year? This is a great week to start making that plan. You know, a lot of people make a lot of New Year's resolutions. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritual commitments. 
Because some New Year's resolutions are only last as long as the, the time it takes to write them on paper. But I'm talking about a deep spiritual commitment to say, I want to grow to become more like Jesus. Because that's God's design. I wish someone had told me years ago that the Christian life is all about becoming more like Jesus. It's all about becoming more like Jesus. Friends, don't complicate it. So think about this in terms of 2020, how to not lose Jesus in 2020. First of all, I want to challenge you to remember his cross every day. Every day, preach the gospel to yourself. Every day, bring yourself intentionally to the foot of the cross in the empty tomb. And let that good news permeate and motivate your life. Live in Christ's presence this year. Cultivate that joy. Cultivate that fellowship with him. Don't look for an ultimate satisfaction elsewhere because it's found in practicing the presence of God. Be ready to learn from Jesus. Be ready to let this word from God speak to your heart and change your life one day at a time. Be ready to learn from Jesus. Be ready to do God's will, to determine your calling from God, God's design in your life, the gifts he's given to you, and say, I'm going to jump in. I'm not going to be on the sidelines anymore. I'm going to get involved in ministry. And finally, be ready to grow in Christ-likeness. To say, this is a year where I'm going to have an intentional plan of how I'm going to be conformed to Christ. Caring for my body physically, caring for my mind so that it's, it's, I'm growing in wisdom, caring for my spiritual life, and caring also for my relationships with others. Jesus as a 12-year-old boy, modeled so much of what he had come to do. On the cross is our Passover. What he had come to do in being the manifest presence of God. What he had come to do to teach others. What he had come to do to do the will of God. What he had come to do to model humanity for us as he grew. Let's us this year not lose Jesus in 2020. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this incredible passage. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that was previewed in your boyhood at 12 years old. Grant, Lord, that we may be intentional about living in fellowship with you in 2020. God, may it be the greatest year spiritually for every one of us. May we not waste our life. May we not tread water. May we not take the easy way. May we follow Jesus wholeheartedly. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.